Father, speak to us this day. Give us the ears that hear and a heart that is receptive to receive. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, good to great in rethinking marriage and understanding marriage from a biblical perspective today. Uh, there are a lot of different viewpoints and a lot of different uh, philosophies out there today about what marriage is, but I want us to look at biblically what the Bible says about marriage. And I want to start by just simply reading Scripture to you, reading what the Scripture tells us marriage is and understanding what marriage is. So uh, you're welcome to follow along on the screen, or if you want to open your Bibles, we welcome you to do that in Genesis chapter 2. Beginning with the 22nd verse, we see God letting us understand uh, the purpose and the understanding of bringing a man and a woman together. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he had made into a woman and brought her to the man. And the man said, this is at last, is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And Jesus Speaking in Matthew chapter 19 said, He answered, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. In Mark chapter 10, Jesus again says, But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they no longer are two but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. And then Paul, speaking in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 31 and 32 Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound. I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. And what Paul is speaking about when he talks about the mystery is that marriage is supposed to be the picture of what it looks like uh, as Christ loves the church, loves the believers. It's meant to be a sacramental, physical, symbolic example for us to understand how Christ relates to us, how he sees himself as the bride, and as, or excuse me, as the groom, and the church, uh, the believers as the bride. And we're going to talk about that this morning as we seek to understand marriage. Now, uh, we live in a culture where obviously... Uh, there are a lot of different views and a lot of different thoughts on marriage and what makes a marriage and, and what should happen in a marriage. And the truth of it is, uh, one of the reasons I believe that we see uh, a lot of uh, marriage in divorce, a lot of marriages struggling, is it starts with a couple of misunderstandings about marriage. One of the primary misunderstandings that I've noticed as a pastor that people struggle with and cause great strife within their marriage is they have unrealistic expectations of marriage. A lot of people come into marriage and they think, oh, they've been watching movies, oh, they're going to complete me. (laughs) You know, I'm going to be complete. You're going to meet all my needs. 
you're going to make me happy. And then about six months into it, you go, what's wrong with you? You're not making me happy. This is what I signed up for. And where's that sweet, sensitive man that listened to every word I say? Where's that woman who couldn't wait to help me? And you find out that person never existed. That's right. You married a fantasy. Congratulations. You married a personality, but you got a character. And that's the real truth, isn't it? We put on our best face, our best clothes. We go and we say and we do all the things, and then we get in and we realize that person, they're not, they're not as wonderful as I thought. And I still am dealing with some of the insecurities, and I'm still dealing with some of the frustrations that I was hoping marriage was going to fix. And I don't feel like they're doing what they're supposed to be doing. You had unrealistic expectations from the beginning. Or what about the myth? The myth. If only, if only he would just start doing his part. If only he would listen. If only he would do the responsibilities that he's been given. If only she would quit nagging me. If only we could make more money. If only we could have children. If only we had less children. And we come up with this grass is greener on the other side. If only they would graduate. And we keep going. And and that little if only recording is rolling over and over. And can I tell you, you'll never be at peace and contentment if you keep playing that tape. If only, if only, if only. Another thing is misunderstanding the role of conflict in marriage. So many of us think it's, it's we've got to win. We've got to fix them. We've got to change them. And the truth of it is, God's not surprised by conflict. I, I give you a little secret. I think he intended you to have conflict. Did you know that? And part of the reason is to mold you into the image of Christ. Conform you and transform you. And usually that only comes through suffering. Through conflict. Most of us don't change without a conflict. That's the real truth. Most of us don't become more like Christ without a little jab, without a little pain. And so God's not surprised by the conflicts in marriage. You know, there's a, there's a man in our, our neighborhood. And uh, matter of fact, he's on our staff. And he has the worst problem with... Uh, he, he, they have an agreement at his home that... They are suppo- he is supposed to take the garbage out and then bring it back in. They got one of those green trash cans. You, put, you pull it out there, and he's real good. He always takes it out, but then he forgets, and he forgets to bring that green trash can in. As a matter of fact, one of my neighbors is here. She, she can give testimony to this. And uh, he, he just constantly, over and over, forgets to do it, and then the poor woman has to go out there and put it in, and, and she's asking before. He goes, Why do you, how do you drive by that big green can? And just, he says, I just don't see it. This same man this week, uh, this, this guy's a joker. This same week, uh, this same thing happened to this guy, the same man. This week, he and his wife went to a movie, and they had to meet in separate cars. So they got to the movie theater over at the mall, separate cars. So they get there, and the man parks, and he meets his wife, he gets the tickets. They, they go to the movie, and then she said, I need to pick a couple things up here at the mall. Would you go get the kids? Would you go get our, our son and go pick him up? He's across town about 30 minutes away. The guy says, sure, I'll do that. And so he takes off, and he goes to get and the woman comes out, and she comes out, and her car's gone. 
She thinks, how could somebody steal my minivan with 135,000 miles on it? <laughs> now all these other cars out there. And then she notices, there's my husband's car right there. He, he must have taken my car. So she gets on the phone, she calls him, and she says, honey? He goes, yep. And by the way, can you figure out this is me uh, at this time? <clears throat> there you go. God bless you. Thanks for coming today. She said, honey, what are you doing? I'm going to pick the kids up, just like you asked, honey. Really, where are you right now? I'm almost there. I'm about 30 minutes away. What are you driving? I'm driving your car. <laughs> she said, honey, do you realize I don't have keys to your car? You know, <laughs> okay, <laughs> what would you like for me to do? I'd like for you to get our children and then come back and get me. And she was very sweet about it. She's very sweet about She, I think she just realized that um, I'm, I don't know, blind, deaf, any other thing you can come up with, and I'm just going to miss that big green trash can. I'm, I'm faithful to get it out. For some reason, I can't be faithful to get it back in. I just can't remember for some reason. And uh, you know what? But that right there is... That right there is a different type of love. And I think we have to understand what uh, love is. The difference between human love and divine love. And we're going to see that in 1 Corinthians 13. So if you want to turn there with me, you can do that. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And the world today, uh, there, matter of fact, the Greeks, C.S. Lewis talked about this. The Greeks had this philosophy. There were three types of love primarily. There was, there was a fourth one, but it was rarely used. But three types of love. And in the Bible, you see phileo love. It's the love that most often you see the word, it's translated as phileo. It's, it's, it's our Greek word or our American word. It's the familiar love. It's love between your friends and your family and those who are close to you, those you have deep relationships with. That's the phileo love. It's not the romantic, but it's just the bond that you share together. A second type of love is the eros love. And quite frankly, almost every time you watch a movie, most of the times you listen to music uh, on the radio, it's the eros love. And it's the word we get erotic from, and we, 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 most of you know that. But it's, that's kind of one-dimensional. It's much broader. Uh, eros love has a much deeper and much broader meaning than simply passion or romance. It's also the kind of love you feel like when your football team wins. Okay, Maybe some of you were watching UT or A&M or uh, whatever team you were watching, North Texas, well, maybe you didn't have a good experience if it's North Texas, but whoever it is that you were watching and you got excited, man, that's a form of Eros love, actually. That's a form of Eros that it moves you, it, it kind of grabs you, and it motivates you. Maybe you listen to a song on the radio and it stirs you. That's, that's Eros love, okay? That's, that's what Eros is. Maybe. Another example of you go to Colorado and you live in Texas. We live here. And you go to Colorado and you get up there and you look over the mountaintops and you see the sun setting or you see the sun rising and it kind of stirs you. It's arrows. It's, it's, a, it's great sentiment. It's a great uh, emotion. But it's very emotion driven. It's how you feel. But agape is more of an orientation of the mind. It's a mindset. It's a decision. It's the highest form of love, and it's interesting. Agape love, we only find it four times outside of the Bible in any form of ancient literature. The, the Greeks almost exclusively used eros and 
phileo. And in our culture today, when we talk about love, phileo and eros, we start talking about agape, and that's like, that's like you know, something from another universe. That's a completely different type of mindset. And when Jesus says in Luke chapter 6, love your enemies, pray for those who despitefully use you, bless those who curse you, we just think, are you crazy? I can't, I don't feel, I'm never going to feel like that. And he goes, yeah, I know. It's divine. It's agape. And let's see an example, or let's see how Paul describes godly love to us here in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Let's start with the fourth verse. And uh, this is a passage often used in weddings. I don't use it a lot in weddings uh, because uh, we sometimes misunderstand, and I don't have time to preach the sermon I'm giving you right now. But let me share with you what Paul says is the first two characteristics of agape love. Everything else hinges upon these two aspects. Remember, the very first one, everything falls underneath it. He said, love is patient. Whoa, did you have to use that word? Love is patient. The Greek word here is makrothumia. And the Old Testament, remember the old King James, they probably have a great way of describing long-suffering. That's the word. If you have your King James Version, you say it's a love is long-suffering. Suffer much and long, okay? Macrothumia, to be slow to anger, to suffer, to stretch, so to speak. That's what macrothumia is. And he says, love, divine love is macrothumia. It suffers. It struggles. It's patient. It's slow to anger. It endures. That's what macrothumia means. We don't like to start there. And if we only do what we feel, we never feel like that. I mean, most of us, we don't feel like waiting a minute or five minutes, much less for years or significant periods of time. We don't want to suffer because of what she did or he did. We want to fix them. But divine love is macrothumia. It's patient. And then the second word, it's kind. It's generous is another word that could be used right there to help uh, explain what that means. It's patient and kind. Here are the two terms that define what agape love is. It's patient and it's kind. It's long-suffering and it's generous. And then Paul gives us eight visuals of what it doesn't look like. When you see these examples, this is not agape love. This is some other form. This may be phileo. It's probably eros. You are loving at its most common denominator and its most basic level. Because agape love does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. Yeah, honey, I know I'm saying this, but I know this may sound rude to you. But I'm just trying to tell you for your own good. You know, I don't know why he acts like that. I'm t- I mean, I love him, but I'm just not going to put up with him. And, he, and he just, he's going to have to change. You may do that, but you can't say that I'm loving him like Christ loves us. You can't say I'm loving her with an agape love. It does not insist on its own way. It doesn't have to win. We could stand up and give testimonies on that one right now, couldn't we? 
I mean, those of you who are on behind them, some of you don't do that, but the ones that are authentic. You would just say, we want to win. We want to be right, and we want you to understand what's right. That's not agape. It's not irritable. Well, well, if you lived with him, if you lived with her, well, you, God lives with you. Or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing. It gives eight things that gives a picture of when we're doing this, this is not agape love. And then he gives us five, that, five pictures of what it does look like. Here's five examples. He says this. He says, it does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears or protects. Love trusts or believes. And it hopes that competent expectation and it macrothumia. It endures all things. It's patient. It suffers. If you want to be like Jesus, you've come to the right place in marriage. Because Martin Luther said, marriage is more refining than a monastery. You want to be really refined? You come to the right place. And if you really want to make it complete, then you get you some children. Okay? As God seeks to. And that's we're going to look at that in just a moment. But understanding what agape love is, that it's a mindset, it's a choice that I've made, God, because I love you and because Christ has died and given himself for me, I will choose to love in spite of what I feel. I will choose to imitate Christ, how he would respond. Not because I feel it, but because my love for you is greater than my love for myself. And it's not because that person necessarily deserves it or because I feel it. Can I say one other thing? This is free, free for the sermon today. Um, I think happiness is killing our marriages today. You know what I mean? I think, God's, I think God wants you to be happy, healthy, and hearty, and whatever else you want to be. Uh, but if I hear this one more time, matter of fact, if you're having marital problems, I, we've got a great marriage minister. I'm happy for you to talk to me. But don't, don't say this to me because I don't respond well anymore. Don't say, I think God just wants me to be happy, so I'm leaving. I think he wants me to be happy. Oh, that's exactly what God wants you to do. God wants you to pick up and leave your family, make a mess of your kids, destroy your wife, destroy the image of how Christ loved the church to the world, just so you can have a smile on your face, which you probably won't get anyway by the, by the time you get through with divorce court, by the way. Um, and so happiness, that's the great one, isn't it? Can I tell you this? God's a lot more concerned about you being holy than he is happy. A whole lot. And the truth of it is, we become holy happiness, we usually come. But it's a greater value. It's a greater form of love. It's a greater characteristic, a greater purpose. So let, let's just take that part out of the equation. And I believe God wants you to experience joy and fulfillment. Don't get me wrong. I'm not here to say God has sentenced you to a life of pain and suffering. So you better get used to it and just like it. I'm not saying that. Uh, I am saying sometimes you're going to have to suffer. And God, given the choice, sometimes you're going to need to choose suffering. And that's to honor God. We have a higher principle than simply what we feel. God has called us to love with an agape love, not just an eros love. Okay. I'm sure nobody will ever say that to me again. Um, So love endures all things. Okay, we've talked about what love is here. 
Now let's talk about understanding the purpose of marriage. Understanding the purpose of marriage. Certainly there's the functional. We've talked about that before. The partnership of marriage. The Bible tells us in Genesis chapter 2 verse 18. Then the Lord said it's not good for man to be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. So certainly it's complementary. It's partnership. Number two, uh, marriage functional purpose is procreation. The Bible says in Genesis 1.28, And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish in the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So functionally, uh, certainly we see partnership and procreation. But that's just at a very basic level. Uh, on a deeper level, we see that marriage is sacramental. And what I mean by sacramental is that it's to be a picture See, sacraments, we don't, and I'm careful to use this term, but m- many of you, we've talked about before, about a third of you were raised Catholic, and then there's about another 25% of you uh, were raised either Methodist or Lutheran or Episcopalian. And when we talk about sacraments, what we're saying is it's a visible example of an inward experience, okay, of an inward grace, so to speak, okay? So it's, uh, when we talk about it, it's something, a sacrament, that very word means something is holy, Okay, it's a holiness that's demonstrated or made visible uh, through an act. So when we look at that, marriage is one of those things that should be a visual understanding and picture of, again, the way that Christ loves the church. That's to be a visual for the world to see, even though it may be broken, even though there may be problems. Uh, but that's what marriage is to be. So let's talk about the Jewish wedding, the Hebrew wedding, uh, particularly in Jesus' time. Start off with, I want to give you three words here. First of all, there's the mohar. The mohar was the bride price. It was the, the pri- it was the money or the work or the value that a man would bring to the father and say, once they had decided they want to marry, that these two are going to be together and say, here is the, here's the redemption cost. Here is the, uh, I recognize you're going to be losing an asset in your home, someone who works, who serves, and, and this is what I value, and I value her so much. Here is the price. And so they would agree upon that, and that's the mohar. The second one is the kiddushin. And the kiddushin is the betrothal period, okay? And so the mohar has been decided, and now you're going to have a commitment. And uh, it's difficult in our vernacular today, in our culture today, to understand. We typically just think of this as engagement. But it's actually, uh, you are actually legally married at this point in the betrothal period. So you are legally com- married. You're committed. Matter of fact, the, the wife, the husband presents the woman uh, with a glass of wine. And if she drinks it, it's a, it's a picture of I've received it. Uh, it is in full legal uh, legally and socially recognized as marriage at that point. And so you would have to go through divorce proceedings to end that relationship at that point. Uh, so that's the betrothal period. And uh, it's a time of preparation uh, before. Matter of fact, you remember Jacob in the Old Testament. He goes and works seven years for what he thinks is Rachel. ends up being Leah. That seven year would have kind of been a betrothal period. So often it's a year, but it can be as long as it takes uh, to work that off or to meet those requirements. And then the last part is uh, the nishuin, which is the, the, the final uh, part of the wedding, so to speak. It's when the groom comes back to get the bride and to take him home with her. And they have a marriage feast, and then they go and live uh, together at his home. Okay, And that sometimes is six months, a year, whatever's been decided between the father and the groom. So the bride doesn't really know when it's happening. So we can kind of see the picture of how Christ 
was the mohar for us. He paid the price for our sins so that we might come to the Father. He paid the price to the Father. The kiddushin, the betrothal period, when we make our initial commitment to Christ, uh, the time of preparation, the time of purification. Matter of fact, they would often go through a mikvah, which was a baptismal time, kind of a cleansing time, and that's what we usually do. We, have a, we portray it in believer's baptism until the day that the groom would come and take the bride home. And that's what we are here today. We're kind of in the betrothal period until Christ comes and takes us back with him one day. So there's the picture of the marriage, the sacrament of marriage. And then lastly, we see that marriage is not only supposed to be uh, a functional purpose and a sacramental purpose, but a transformational purpose, a transformational purpose. Now, what do we mean by that? Well, we'll go back to what we talked about earlier. Uh, Christ wants to conform you into his image. God wants to conform you into his image. So through marriage, these things are going to happen. They're supposed to happen. It's going to expose your sin. You know, it's one thing when you're single. It's one thing when you live by yourself. People don't really know you. You can kind of hide it pretty well. But when you get married, everything gets seen. Everything gets noticed eventually. And it exposes us for who we really are. It teaches us forgiveness because if we don't learn to forgive, we can't exist together. It teaches us to develop servanthood. All of a sudden, you're going to have to learn to serve. This whole mentality of he'll do it or she'll do it, she'll take care of everything, it won't work. In order for your marriage to succeed, in order for it to even lightly resemble agape love, you must seek to serve one another. And that's what Paul's talking about in Matthew chapter, or excuse me, in Ephesians chapter 5. Also, it helps us what? To be macrothumia, long-suffering. As God chips away at our rough edges. And as people see it and point it out, you know, that's the one safe place, hopefully, that it's getting pointed out. It teaches you and it grows you. And the truth of it is most of us don't grow in our faith if there's not pain involved. Not significantly. Most of us don't make changes. And we find ourselves long-suffering. And then last of all, it drives us to pray and to seek the heart of God. Marriage will cause you to pray. And then again, if you want an extra bonus, you have children. And God will put you in a place where you will seek Him. And you will get on your knees and you will seek His face. And that's not by no accident. God didn't do any of that on accident. That was from, decided from the beginning. Let me give you a great example of agape love. Uh, Carol Long tells the story of her parents. <clears throat> she said her parents are now in their 80s. <coughs> And they're both struggling. They live in, a, in an apartment that's assisted living. And her mother has uh, Alzheimer's, and, which is a, you know, a tough disease. And uh, she has what they call sundowners. And when the sun starts to set, uh, she starts to kind of lose it on a greater level. And her father, uh, bless his heart, has had his voice box removed. So he can barely just kind of eke out some phrases so that's the picture, she says, when I go to visit them. If I go to visit them, it's right before evening time. She goes, it's the same every time. It starts to get dark, and my mother will go, it's time to go home. I'm ready for somebody to take me home. Take me home. Who's going to take me home? And then she becomes more and more agitated, and she starts going over to her father and said, are you going to take me home? When can we go? I want to leave right now. Do you hear me? And he just nods his head. She goes, 
I'm so sick of this. This is what he does every time. He doesn't talk to me anymore. He just nods his head and shakes his head. I'm sick of it. If you love me, you take me home. I'm sick of this. And she gets angry and angry. And she said, I look at my father and his eyes begin to mist. And he's trying to calm her down. And after what seems like several hours, but it's at least an hour or so, she'll finally start to calm down. And she'll say, all right, I guess we'll just stay here tonight. And he said, my father will go over and he will say, nod his head. And he will eke out these words. He'll look in her face and go, I love you. I love you. And she'll finally go to bed. And the next day we'll do it all over again. And she said, you know, If my father only had an Eros love for her, he had left a long time ago. But that's what agape love is. It's long-suffering. And it's kind. That's what God challenges us with today. Through the Spirit and the power of Christ. It's not something we can do on our own. But because of who He is. In that we have been redeemed. We've been purchased. We're betrothed to Christ. Through us, we will do those ridiculous things. Bless those who cursed us. Pray for those who despitefully use us. We begin to love those who are against us. Not in a feeling, not in a warm fuzzy, but through the agape spirit of God Almighty. That's the love that he offers today. Have you come to him? Let's pray. Father, as we prepare to receive the table, we receive the bread of the one who macrothumia the most of all time, Father, who suffered long and hard for us. He who knew no sin became sin that we might become the righteous of God. Lord, we give you praise. Lord, as we receive of the cup of kindness, for your word says it's the kindness of the Lord that leads us to repentance. Lord, we see the beauty of agape love. And Lord, as we receive this today, as we receive of this sacrament, Lord, of this ordinance, of this beautiful picture of what you have done, and as we portray it, as we proclaim it to the world, Lord, I pray that we proclaim agape love of the Father to others. God, help us to love like you love, to rely and to rest in your strength, to embrace you. And so, Lord, as we receive of this bread, we do so in remembrance and proclamation. As we receive of the cup of the new covenant, just as you have committed, as we once again show a visual picture of our commitment to you, let us put our selfishness aside, our desire to know Eros in its fullness and concentrate upon the agape love of God. And he who knew no sin became sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. And greater agape love hath no man than this, that he laid down his life for a friend. So, Lord, help us to die to ourselves, so that you might be glorified. So others might see what it looks like to really love. And may they be drawn through that picture of the way that you love us as we love them.